Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Sabrina Boyd Serka. When the two year anniversary of the pandemic rolled around, it got me thinking about the early days of lockdown. I had so much time back then for self reflection, slowing things down, finding new joys in life. Now, after two years of COVID stress, new variants, constantly changing regulations, I feel like there was a sense of almost serenity that we've lost. So how can we bring some of that back and handle the pandemic stress that we've been faced with? Dr. Eric A. Zilmer is a professor of neuropsychology at Drexel University. I asked him about all of that and some of the long-term psychological effects of COVID, what benefits there were to this time that we've spent with ourselves, and for those of us who are still struggling, how to break out of our own mental lockdowns. Dr. Zilmer, we've seen a lot of stories about mental health in the pandemic and how important it's been, but could this be a bigger concern beyond COVID? What has this pandemic done to our psychology long-term? Well, you know, it has as it has really affected us psychologically as much as, as it affected us medically. In a way, the pandemic has also been an anxiety pandemic. Anxiety has also become contagious. And so for the last two years, we've been really battling almost every day uh, in being in survival mode. And I think the biggest takeaway, Sabrina, is that uh, that we really have to focus on ourselves and, and manage day to day these challenges as they come up. Because if we don't, if we don't do that, we don't emerge out of this pandemic. And I think one myth is that when COVID-19 is over, everything will be fine, we'll be back to normal. Um, that from studying stress and trauma. We know that's not true. Is it's more likely that if you don't address it head on, you'll come out as a victim, angry, despondent, and uh, you'll be unhappy. Whereas the pandemic also gives us an incredible opportunity to reflect on ourselves and to perhaps spring forward rather than fall back. It's a it's a very important message, but I don't think people look as at the pandemic as an opportunity for self growth and self reflection. Yeah, I think it's important what you said there that this isn't just all going to go away and suddenly get better. And I think there are still, still in some ways we are thinking that there is an end to this someday, even if it's five or 10 years down the line. But I think there's a lot that is just going to stick around. Does that, the anxiety that we went through and maybe are still going through, does that make it kind of harder to move? I won't say move on because we're still in it, but move forward and start to do things again. You know, there are a lot of people who still don't want to go out with some reasonable fears, but maybe some of it is a little, a little bit in our heads, you know? And no question. I mean, look at the, what we're really facing or have faced for the last two years. You know, our brains have been overstimulated with unpredictability and ambiguity. And, you know, we don't like, our brains don't like uh, to be in an ambiguous situation. We like it when it's predictable and we can manage uh, our daily stress and our larger goals in life. So this has been really a a sort of a Bermuda Triangle. There's been uncertainty, there's been ambiguity, and there's been stress. And all of this uh, creates an avalanche of anxiety. And I think in, in in the psychology world, you know, we think of anxiety as cumulative. 
And so it adds up. And if you don't address it, it'll just add up. And then all of a sudden, something seemingly small, like the other day, you know, I was getting money out of an ATM machine. And for the first time in my life, it, it swallowed my card and no money came out. It really upset me. And I was thinking, this, you're overreacting. But this is what uh, this is what the pandemic does to you. It, it just adds up all this stress. And then seemingly something small can look like something major. I laugh because that's I do that all the time. I will have a full breakdown over the tiniest thing and then be like, what? Oh, wait, this is because I have been pushing down and ignoring all of the feelings that have been bubbling up in me over the course of the week. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you have to, you know, you have to reset and you have to look at yourself and, and, and in one thing we've learned, Sabrina, from the military, which have studied stress because, you know, our military and our men, servicemen and service women, they, they, they're sometimes in very stressful situations. And so the military has, has studied stress for many decades. And, um, and, I, and, and one other area is sports, where we, we like it when somebody has to shoot a free throw and uh, the game is on the line and where we want to see not only if they make the free throw, but, but what, how are they dealing with the stress? So we've been studying stress for a long time. And one thing we've learned is that you can do something about it, that resiliency uh, is something that you can learn. And, and I always talk about like some of these ingredients that you could put into your psychological backpack as a toolkit. Uh, because if you don't, you know, this journey might come back to haunt you. Uh, we talk about unfinished business in psychology. And, and if you don't really attack this pandemic and, and, try, to, and try to deal with it head on, uh, you you may uh, regret it later. So you know we put a list together of psychological ingredients that that are accessible that people can learn, and um, that I think really help you focus on yourself and how you can manage this pandemic. Otherwise, you're just a passenger. You know we want you to be a captain or a co-pilot. Uh, if you're just a passenger, it just feels like things are happening to you. And um, that doesn't have to be like that. Are we looking at things that we can do on our own kind of in a, in, a, in the day-to-day as opposed to the other, not extreme, because I do recommend therapy to everybody, but, you know, a lot of people don't want to, aren't ready for that step. Is this something where we're saying, like, talk to somebody, talk to a psychologist, or just here's something you can do when you start to feel that stress on a regular basis? Yeah, these are things you can do yourself, but uh, like in many, you know, problems in life, uh, it may help to talk it over with a friend or have a life coach, or if you really feel that your life is being affected to the point where you're occupationally or socially in, in kind of in a repair mode, you may have to ask for professional help, but these are all um, things that you can do yourself. And in fact, there are many of the common sense or they come from other countries where people have been dealing with stress or they they happen to be really happy or really healthy. I mean, what are they doing to, to, to have like boost up your immune system on what's, what's the psychological uh, vaccine for, for this pandemic, you know? So, uh, so I'll start with something simple. I think the first rule is that you have to take care of yourself first. You can't help anybody else. You can't help your family. You can't help your colleagues at work if you do not take care of yourself first. And with that, it's really self-care. Is, is, it could be as simple as, you know, sleeping more during the pandemic, eating healthy, engaging in self-care behaviors. I, I personally started uh, yoga 
you know, I've never even thought about it before, but this idea of just taking care of myself, reflecting on my own body, uh, slowing down a little bit, it really is helpful. Uh, and it also gives you a sense of self-worth. It increases your self-confidence. You, you feel good about yourself. Um, I mean, one of the things that the lockdown, you know, took away from us is to go to your, your hairdresser, to go to your, get a pedicure, to go work out in a spa. All these things we took for granted, they were really important in, in shaping your self-esteem for yourself. So it doesn't sound egotistical. It's, it's a fact. You have to, just like in an airplane, when the, when the oxygen masks come down, they say, <laughs> put it on first for yourself before you help somebody else. And so my first advice would be like a cognitive strategy is to is to take care of yourself first and to to exercise regularly to 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 sleep well to eat well and how many people during the pandemic have started cooking more at home with with natural ingredients even like i know friends who started a herb garden so they can eat healthier and so this reflection on on restoring yourself and the psychology and, and physical preparedness of yourself is a really good idea some other cognitive strategy, strategies, Sabrina, are is to is to look at your pace of play, so to speak, to look at your game plan and to to schedule your day. You know, when things go crazy in life, you should take you should go back to your basics. We do this in sports all the time, to make a plan, to schedule your day, to monitor monitor your pace of living. You know, it takes the brain longer to process novel information, so keep it simple. And one, one advice I have, uh, a cognitive strategy is to look at this pandemic as a problem solving uh, opportunity. You know, so something that you don't think, you're not taking it, you take the emotions out of it. You're just trying to understand, you know, what can I control? What things can I focus on? You know, you're starting with little things and then you work, you work your way up to larger problems that you can solve. And if you think of it, like a problem-solving opportunity, and you think of yourself as somebody who's in charge of this, and you're healthy, and you feel good about yourself, you, you can take this on. And in fact, you can take on anything. I mean, you, humans are unbelievably resourceful, but if they're not prepared, and if they let this take a life on of its own, then um, the consequences are typically negative. You know, if you look at the countries that are the happiest, you know, they have these happiness scales across the whole world. And the United States comes in about at rank 19. We should do be, we should be doing better. But the, the countries that are at the top are Norway, Iceland, and Denmark. And it's interesting because those happiest countries, they're dark for most of the winter, which we're kind of getting out of in the winter. But how do they do it? They stay physically and socially active even during the winter months. So it's really important to to go get outside, to, to take care of yourself first, and to, uh, and, and, and to get into a position where you can then also deal with other things which are more emotional, social. And in some cases, I feel that the pandemic even has given us the opportunity for spiritual self-reflection. Let's pause on that thought. And I want to dig more into that spiritual self-reflection, as well as how to find happiness in a time of crisis when we come back. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I've been talking with Dr. Eric Zilmer about how to address our pandemic stress and anxiety so that it doesn't become a long term problem. And that got us to talking about happiness. Dr. Zilmer, you mentioned that the US is ranked 19th as far as happiest countries in the world. Is that low? Is that high? Why do you think we fall there? Well, there's 190 countries approximately, you know, in the world. And 
And so we're doing actually really well. We're in the top 10%. And certainly the way the, these are measured are somewhat controversial because employment and, um, and, 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 and wealth you know, plays a big role. And we're a very wealthy country. We have agriculture and we have, uh, you know, employment, we, we pay taxes, we have a great infrastructure in terms of uh, transportation and automobiles. Um, I, I think the, the countries that do better than us, quote unquote, they, they're a little smaller, Sabrina, they're like five to 8 million, you know, in terms of population. So I think, I don't blame America. We're a large country, over 350 million. It's hard to self-govern ourselves and, and stick together like a team, like many of these smaller countries do, like Norway, Iceland, and Denmark. And, and what they do well is they really build community. And I think that's one thing that has really also come out in the pandemic. You know, if you take care of yourself, what's the next step? The next step would be to take care of others. And this pandemic has really shown that, that when you help others, and you help your community, it could be your neighborhood, or it could be a, a philanthropic cause, or it could be something at work. You know, you get you get a lot back from from doing that. And so this this uh, this idea of building tight knit communities, uh, we're we're a little bit behind. But I think this pandemic has really shown how people have pulled together, and and we supported each other in many cases that that have been um, have been really a positive, a silver lining of this pandemic. What do you what do you think? Have you visited those countries? Um, I haven't. One thing that I do think about a lot, though, is our it's great that we are wealthy and we have employment and industries and whatnot. But there is a I don't know how true these these things are, but there's a focus on work and placing your value on how much you produce in America and how much work you can do. And uh you know, the internet would like to give us the impression that in a lot of countries that might be happier, they're working four day weeks and there's just a better work life balance. Is there is there any truth to that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's another there's another group of countries that I've really studied and also in the context of this pandemic, they're called the blue zones. And the blue zones are interesting because that's not where the people are happiest. But this is where people live the longest and are the healthiest. Mm. And they're, of course, they're, of course, not unhappy. But um, those blue zones are uh, Sardinia, Icaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, Costa Rica, among others. And when you look at what they do well is they do everything together socially. And so they have a social infrastructure in, in their society that really creates uh, a feeling of groupiness. And, and, and when they, they, they walk to work, they're almost all employed, but they don't have this kind of a you know, rat race that we have here in the United States. And so if you, if you look at what the happiest and the healthiest countries do, uh, they, they do you know, connect socially better than we do in smaller groups. Family is more important. They don't have this mobility that we have in America where people just cross the country to get a new job. And when we entered in this pandemic and we became you know, socially isolated, really, and physically isolated, it really put a damper on all of these ingredients that make people happy, make communities happy. And so, and so one thing we had to do as a social strategy is we had to over-communicate uh, during the pandemic, reach out. I told people, you know, many people reconnected with their families, became closer with their cousins and and children and parents. And in a way, they've done things. What these countries have done for for hundreds of years is to nurture 
a social support network. So again, even though you know this pandemic has been brutal in many aspects on our society, it gives us this opportunity to reflect on what is really important uh, to us. And what we found what's really important is our social network. And so we've invested in it more. Everybody became a Zoom expert. Everybody learned how to unmute. <laughs> and, and so we started, we, we started really missing this water cooler at work to process things socially. And so this whole focus on community has been an interesting enlightenment that came out of this pandemic. And I, and I think it will stay, you know, that especially the small communities. You know, I live in old city, Philadelphia. Uh, and we just we just got we just became I, I never thought of myself as having as really saying that, you know, I'm from Old City, Philadelphia. We we kind of stick together during this pandemic. We help each other out. We try to figure out what's going on. I joined a neighborhood network um, on the Internet. So these are all things that, you know, are important uh, for people to realize that that if you're, you're if you're staying at home, physically isolated, there are ways that you can connect. And of course, now that the uh, pandemic is lifting. And, and, you know, we're all fingers crossed, right? Um, you can see, like, especially like an old city, you walk down Chestnut and Second Street, you can see how much it meant for people to go out together, to hang out together, to connect socially. You know, it just shows you that we're a social species. And mm. once that was taken away from us, uh, we really, it really became important to us. And I think through technology, it really helped to stay connected and I feel I personally feel a lot closer to my family and my friends than I ever have uh, because of this. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely have friends, especially those who don't live nearby who I've gotten closer to in the pandemic than ever before. We talk more than we ever used to and I hope that that keeps going. The the Zoom calls, the text threads, whatever it may be. Uh, you talked earlier about taking care of yourself, sleeping more, cooking at home. I found that I slept so much more during the pandemic because I didn't have to commute to work. I didn't have places to go in the evening so I could go to bed at a reasonable time and get a full eight hours of sleep. Now that's changing back a little bit because I do have to go into the office and go out and do things. So I guess my question about that is how can we take the good and like hang on to it in while we're being pulled back into this busy lifestyle that we've always led. Like people talk about the pandemic being a big pause and making us look it look inward. Do you think that that has actually like stuck and that we're going to remember that? Or are we just going to get pulled back into life as we knew it being super busy all the time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, that's, that's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, isn't it? Um, I have a couple things I would touch on. One is during this pandemic, it became really interesting and important for people to be emotionally honest with themselves. I feel, you know, people stop playing games and that's probably the wrong word, but we have so much stress and so much ambiguity. It's just, you just always sit like, you know, I'm done with this. I'm just going to be honest to myself what I want out of life and honest with my friends and colleagues and, and, you know, significant others. We also learned how to apologize to ourselves. You know, we don't have to be perfect. We, we were a society of being perfect before this pandemic. And now I think we're, 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 we're okay with not being perfect. So this emotional self-awareness has played itself out. 
And, you know, and, and during a crisis, there, there is no time to play around and make things more complicated than they need to be. So I've seen a lot of my friends and myself personally that we've we kind of dragged some unfinished business over the finish line that has been sitting there for many for many years. The other thing that you touched upon is is uh, is our relationship between work and family. And that's always been really complicated, I believe, in this country. I grew up in Europe where they also have a strict separation between work and family, maybe even more strict, but it doesn't feel like that. But, but, but here in our country, um, I've always asked to, you know, differentiate between work and play. And I never felt comfortable with that because I'm always one person and I'm the same person at work and I'm the same person at home. And so when the pandemic hit and we all went back home and we worked from home, this, this, this dichotomy became very blurred all of a sudden people got really confused with when am I working and when am I playing? And I advised everybody at the time to, you know, develop something in your home, like even a room or just a chair where you, that's just where your work is because it helps to be, you know, structured during a crisis. And this is where your play is. But as it turns out, you know, people started, you know, working in, in their home clothes and, you know, all these zoom things about working in pajamas and, it, and I, I thought this uh, whole thing was really, really healthy. And then what happened is people were asked to come back. And as you know, the first wave, they didn't go back. They were really comfortable working from home, which was really surprising. And now we're in a situation where people are being asked to, to come back to work, but, but in a really um, sensible way. You know, they're not, work has become different. People are now feeling like I, I would like to be at work, but I want to be safe. But I also like working from home. So this whole hybrid model has, has been established. So it's got to play itself out. But I, I get back to this emotional honesty, where is what are, you, what are you really trying to do when you're going to work? You're trying to accomplish something. And you're trying to work as a team to, to create something that's bigger than yourself. And so you can do that from home and you can do it from work. So I feel this hasn't played itself out in terms of how office buildings of the future will look like and will people really go to work for five days a week. And when I watch some of these new buildings go up and they, their windows don't open, I wonder like really what the future of work will be. And so I think that's an interesting development of this pandemic. Uh, you're, you're saying that do you go back every day now to, to your office? Not every day. Um, I mean, like three or four days a week. It's so there is still that that flexibility and that option to work from home. Um and I I feel like I've needed to ease myself back in. I I think there were a couple of weeks where I went in five days and I was like, I can't do this anymore. So now I'm staying home one or two days a week, which was also really interesting to see the just the how fatigue builds builds up more quickly, I guess. Um I don't know. I don't know if there's like psychology behind that, that I got used to not seeing people and now it's harder to, to socialize? You no, know, there's no question. You know, if you look at the industrial age and the industrial age in Philadelphia in the late 19th century, we, we you know, we had the World's Fair here. We, we, we made things. And one of the things that happened during that time is the clock was invented, you know, the Rittenhouse clock mm -hmm. and famous clocks. And our whole system, and I really think we inherited that for 100 years, was centered around the clock, around time. And, and this pandemic kind of shifted this, that you had more like a shift time, you stay at home, you got to get things done. Everything became more interestingly ambiguous, but somehow we got it done. And I think the key ingredient is, is to shift away from this um, 
like the rigidity of the clock system and go to more of a compassionate model where you're working with your sort of, you know, with your colleagues to try to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And if you're doing it that way, like if your boss, you know, if your boss is compassionate and they asking you, well, like, what, when would you want to be at work and how, would, how do you want to see this happening? I think it's a whole nother model where also I think productivity and on-job satisfaction will increase. And this is what we're seeing now across the country, that this works a lot better than, especially during a crisis, than demanding that people come back and demanding and they're telling them that this is where your cubicle is, this is where you're sitting. And so when you have people participate in their welfare and in their time schedule, and, and they're actually much more willing to take risks, Sabrina. I mean, they're not great risks, but just, yeah, I'm okay here at work, even there's a lot of people I'm not concerned about, you know, COVID, you know, we're all vaccinated, we're all, we all need to know each other. And I'm, they're much more willing to, to participate. And so that's been, you know, something that's also new is to involve all the workers in terms of trying, being self-determined how they're going to come back to work. And, and I don't think that's played out yet because we know that in Philadelphia, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of how people come back to work and there's not 100% occupancy in what we had pre-COVID. So it has to play itself out. You know, I'm a professor and we're definitely in the hybrid model. You know, we're trying to figure out like, when are we at work and when can what can we do over the computer? And, and so uh, I think it's a healthy relationship, uh, but I also know, and you know this, I'm sure, is that the, the best way to communicate with people is, is face-to-face. You know, you lose a lot of, body language, subtleness, Sure. you know, the Zoom calls are great, but ultimately when you, if you want to do really good work, you're going to have to be in the office uh, a little bit. So that has to play itself out um, in terms of the, in terms of the, of the human resource component. I know you have uh, some experience and knowledge of historical epidemics as well, medicine throughout history. Is there any research that's been done into kind of psychological effects of past pandemics, it feels like this is a whole different approach where, you know, we talk about the AIDS epidemic, but we didn't shut down the whole world for that. I guess maybe if you go all the way back to 1918, but that was operating in a very different world. But are there any sort of traces of what happened in the past that we can see that's that's happening to us now in terms of mental health? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's similarities and then there's a lot of dissimilarities and the dissimilarities are because we have uh, social media and we have the internet and we, we are so connected and we have so much information overflow um, that I think it's important actually to limit it to, I don't know, 10 minutes a day. I mean, you don't want to hear that from KYW, but you know, 15, <laughs> 15 minutes, can we agree on, on 30 minutes a day of news? Um, it's just so much information that's bombarding your brain that is hard to deal with uh, because there's so much uh, so much going on. It's like going from one intersection to the next in your car and the lights are all blinking and you don't know where, when to step on the gas, when to get on the brake. Um, the similarity is that people have always um, been very suspicious of, 
of these pandemics, they've been always kind of like paranoid about it to the point where, you know, people would become secluded or not allow outsiders to come into their city. And I think that's something we can learn from. It's, is you know, that's I, there's always been this great ambiguity with this pandemic is like, like, how do I approach my family? Should I be vaccinated? Should I have a COVID test the same day? What if I, uh, my, you know, what if I want to visit my mom in a nursing home? How do I manage that? This, this, this small feeling of paranoia about dealing with your family uh, with a contagious disease has always been around. So it, it, com- it comes back really full circle, Sabrina, to, to coming back to yourself. We started off with saying, hey, you got to take care of yourself physically. But I would, I would conclude, you know, in terms of managing this uh, pandemic psychologically, you got to come back to yourself and think about yourself spiritually. And so it's interesting that this pandemic also offered this opportunity to reflect on really your own happiness, what's important to you. Um, many people have reevaluated uh, their priorities in life. And in a way, the silver lining has, has been also to find happiness in unexpected ways, to find peace, to find mindfulness, to, to embrace a sense of belonging. And for many uh, people in the, in the pandemic, they also found meaning in life that they didn't have before. And some some were small. Um, let me ask you, Sabrina, did you do any of these things? Did you start gardening? Did you have some new recipes? Did you adopt a, a pet? Did you start yoga, painting? You know, what, like a lot of people, you know, my daughter adopted a pet, you know, we call it the pandemic pet, as it turns yeah. out, because people want to take care of things. You see, that's what I was talking earlier about. It could be a pet, it could be your grandmom. It's uh, it's all the same thing. And so this may become a, as a surprise, but it's true that, you know, if you look at rock music, the greatest songs in the recording history that ever been written have been composed during amounts of stress and disruption. Mm-hmm. So Bob Dylan in the 60s, you know, he wasn't at peace with himself. You know, Leonard Cohen, the great Canadian songwriter, they, there was disruption. And this, out of this disruption came these amazing uh, ideas about, about who we are as a, as a humanity. And I think that's true for people, too. They can find meaning uh, in life um, through this stress that this pandemic has exerted on us. We have to look in the mirror and say, like, hey, how do I find peace in this? And what's important to me? A lot of things have been taken away from me. What 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 is important to me? And I got to find a way to, to make that happen. So I do feel people have looked at this. It's very similar to individuals that I've studied who are confronted with a terminal illness. Hmm. You know, all of a sudden they, they, they feel, you know, the smallest things in life or in biology have special meaning and are beautiful. And I see a sense of that to some degree in this pandemic, that people have reflected on their own self-worth and started you know, either doing big things or little things, all of which have been really important to them. We have to take one more quick break, but right after this, we'll talk about how to get ourselves out of this pandemic funk in a healthy way. We're back with KYW News Radio in depth, talking with Dr. Eric Zilmer from Drexel about how to make something positive out of the uncertainty and stress that we've all been feeling for two years in the global pandemic. I want to kind of come back, um, maybe end a little bit of where we started because I know you touched on some of this, but the way that you phrased this in our in our emails before this conversation, I thought was really interesting. That 
Whether we move on and find new journeys of happiness and meaning in our lives, or whether we feel like a victim and will be to some degree stuck in pandemic mode, like whether we deal with this now is going to affect that. So I want to talk about getting stuck in pandemic mode, because I think there are a lot of people who are, I understand the hesitancy, but I think that also can have some really rough effects to be so afraid. So how do we avoid that? And I know you mentioned a few things already, but like final takeaways, what would you say to make sure that we do come out of this and maybe come out of this as better people? Yeah. I mean, we have this opportunity to spring forward and not fall back. And, you know, when people experience crisis, many of them uh, come out of it like going three steps back. We know this from the military. We send our men and women to to conflict, military conflict, and many came back broken. And so we studied why, why is it that they come back broken and others come back, you know, stronger. And so what, what we've learned is that you have to attack and deal with the issues that you're confronted with at the time that you're doing this. I give you the military uh, comparison in the past when there was a lot of stress in the combat field, they would, they would take the soldier off the combat field and fly them back into another country to treat them. You know, many times it took a week or two. And now in, 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 in a modern world, uh, they take the psychology, they take the mental health professional to the front line and deal with it right there and then. Okay, process it the, the same day, you know. And so, you know, I mean, that's what that's what we have to do. Uh, the same thing in sports, you know, when, when things are going not well, you take a timeout and you deal with what's going on right now and how do we solve that. And so uh, if you don't do it, um, you, 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 you're right. I think you get stuck. And there's there's a sort of a addictive quality to this pandemic mode because you're, if you're constantly reacting to stress, you feel like you feel like it's overwhelming, but you feel like you're in the moment. Uh, you have, you really have to get out of that. You have to you find a way to to reset. It's not easy, you know. It's easier said than done, but it is within your toolbox to do that. And, and you can start simple by taking care of yourself, and it can become more complicated by taking care of other people and your colleagues and your friends and your family. It can get even spiritual and existential where you look at what makes you happy and you got to be honest with yourself, but maybe the first time in your life, because you need to during a crisis to, to get a sense of what's real and what's not real. We know that if you're in stress for a long time, you don't come out well, really well. It's not stress is only good for a human being for very short bursts of time. You know, when, when you're facing an, a, a probable accident in the car and all of a sudden you're mobilizing all your resources to uh, to stop the car and you, you, you evaded an accident, you're sitting there and you can't believe how quickly you reacted and your heart rate's at 200. Yeah, I've heard it described as like fight or flight mode, right? In That's that right. in that moment in the car accident, that makes sense. But we've right. been living in fight or flight mode for two years and that's not healthy. Exactly. So we have to we have to break that cycle and and, and uh, look inward a lot of times. And so I, I believe that, um, like I started at the beginning, it's it's not our fault. You know, we this this has not been fair this pandemic, but 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 life isn't fair, and we can find, you know, beauty in stress and in the crisis, and we can problem we can problem solve our way out of this. I mean, many people many people do. Uh, many people need help. 
Um, sometimes it's fun to talk to a friend about this or your family, but you can also do it alone. And I think the fact that you can be self-determined about this, you have some skills. Um, you know, I, I've never thought that I would do yoga and I started like signing up for online yoga. You know, I changed my life. I never thought I would cook as much as I do and I, pre and, and I really appreciate the process of cooking. I have a whole garden at home now. I play music, I connect to my friends. Now, that doesn't mean my life is perfect, but it, but I felt I feel like it's it's a, it's in a way a way it's in a place that I can manage this pandemic and especially manage Sabrina what's what's coming, because part of the problem with the pandemic is we don't know what is coming. There's this ambiguity. We just want it to be over. And I think when we realize this is more of a journey than a destination, to use a cliche, it's so true. You know, there there is no over. Okay. Uh, this will be a, a long time coming and we'll have to deal with it for a long time as, and there may be another pandemic or there may be something else. And we're used to these things, but now we're not used to them in the medical public health context. Um, before I close, can I ask you if you had, if you had COVID? I did not. Uh, yes. Yeah, so far I have not. Yeah. And, um, and I haven't either. Uh, but I've had many friends who have it, and um, yeah. and one of my friends who just who just went through it in Germany, you know, she uh, she got sick pretty good. I've been checking in on her every day, and then then finally she felt, look, I I feel much better now after about ten days, and she said, you know, Eric, you know, I really was thinking a lot during I, when I had COVID, and um, I, I in a way it was like a blessing because I put a lot of things to rest in my mind that that are going to be helpful for me moving forward. So it's not only the pandemic, it's also when you're actually sick, uh, that there's an opportunity, at, apparently, or possibly, if you're not too sick, that you can actually think about yourself in a different context moving forward. So I was really happy to hear that from Yulia is her name. Um, and and, and I know I'm glad I'm glad, glad she's doing better. Uh, but but it, it but it's the kind of a stress that's really that you're dealing with that is personal. And um, it's uh, overwhelming. And uh, but yet, if you look at it in a certain way, you can manage it, and you may you may be able to come out of it better and by stronger. And uh, that's that's what we want. You know, we want people to be happy. And uh, it was uh, Thomas Jefferson who always said, you know, you have the in our in a Declaration of Independence. There's this right for happiness. And when you look at it carefully, is it happiness that's given to you or is it happiness that you have to earn? It's the pursuit of happiness, right? That's right. So it's, and, not, yeah, that's right. it's not guaranteed, but you have the right to find your way of pursuing it. That's what I believe. I mean, the whole Declaration of Independence is written like an inkblot test, right? But the, uh, <laughs> It is far from perfect, but... The, but. <laughs> the pursuit puts it back on you, Sabrina. It puts it back on you. And I think it's good to remember that this country... It's one of the pillars, maybe the most important words in terms that we have this right for self-determination and we have this right to, to, to pursue happiness and meaning in our life. And why wouldn't it be true during a pandemic? It is more true and now and more important now than ever. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa, and we'll have another episode out soon. 